0: Well, good morning. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. It's good to see you this morning. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving with family and friends. Glad that you've joined us uh, this morning. Hey, can we just thank the worship team who led us this morning, Samson and Dana? I mean, were there like 10 people back here and they were just hidden? How did so many instruments get played? I don't know. That was amazing. Thank you for for leading us and, and rehearsing all this week to lead us this morning. Uh, we are glad you guys are here. Hopefully you got one of these as you walked in. Did you get one of these? Hold it up if you got one. There you got one. Our Advent series, Waiting on God, starts today. You can look through this bulletin. You can take notes during the sermon. You can fill out a Connect card if you are new. Uh, it's right here. It tears off. You can drop it in the offering right after the sermon. We'd love for you to do that and just get involved during this holiday season. Uh, really thankful also for a team that uh, got up early this morning and and prepared yesterday to decorate uh, so it looks like Christ- Christmas and very festive in the lobby. We just had Thanksgiving, on to Christmas, right? How many of you decorated your house already for Christmas? Raise your hand, don't be scared. We did too. I, I-, I love this this time of year. It's a great time of year. Last uh, Sunday, we have amazing weather. Last Sunday, we had our annual flag football game, and so just now I'm beginning to learn how to walk again. Um but it's just an amazing time of year. We have baby dedications coming up on December 10th. Uh, that's two Sundays from now. So if you have a new child, we'd love to celebrate and commit them to the Lord. We have this Friday uh, our PBC Christmas Celebration and Benefit. If you're new, you can come to this. If you've been around for a long time, you can come to this. All the details for that are at the Connect Desk. There's a computer, an iPad. You can actually RSVP, and we need you to RSVP. This Friday night, PV Celebration and Benefit. If you haven't RSVP'd, we have to order food, and so we want you to eat and have enough for you. So go back to the Connect Desk after we're done here. On the computer or the iPad, that form is up. It's an Evite. Uh, Just RSVP and let us know you're coming. We'd love for you to be there and bring a toy. We're doing Christmas in Garfield, a downtown event that provides toys for a lot of kids who don't have any. Uh, We've been doing that every Sunday. We have this Sunday and next Sunday left. But Friday night, we're all going to bring one toy and see if we can just really crush this uh, and just provide a lot of uh, toys and be a tangible blessing in this community. So so take advantage of this season. Like Stacia prayed, there's lots of things going on. There's lots of things you can give your time to, and we just love for you to give your time to to Jesus and what he wants to do in you, through you, and around you. And we want to help facilitate some of that as a church. And so take advantage of all those opportunities. We are starting this new series, Waiting on God. It's Advent. Um, Maybe you grew up in church or a more traditional or liturgical church, and you know exactly what Advent is. You saw the four candles, and you got really excited, right? Because those four candles represent four weeks of waiting on Jesus. That's what Advent means, the anticipation for the coming of Christ. And so we're going to go through that tradition as well. Traditions aren't bad, all right? They're not the main thing. Jesus is the main thing. But sometimes traditions help us fix our eyes on the main thing, which is the coming of Jesus. And so we're going to look at, over the next four weeks, Luke chapter 1. And we're going to see... In these events, prior to Luke chapter 2, the coming of Jesus, we're going to see in Luke chapter 1, how did these people wait on God? Because that's what they were doing. You and I wait on God in different ways in our life, in in our hardships, in waiting on the future, a spouse, family, whatever the case may be. We wait on God. We have people in Luke chapter 1 who are literally waiting on God in the flesh to come. And so we're going to look at these events prior to the birth of Jesus and see what does it look like to wait on God. And I want to give us a little illustration so you can see a visual of what this could look like. And I need some volunteers for that. We have our kids in the service. Always love it when these guys gift us with their presents. And so, kids, I'm going to ask a few of you guys and a couple of adults to come on stage with me to help me out with the sermon. Can I get a hand? Who who wants to do that? Ashwin, Always count on my son. Come on up, Ashwin. David, come on up. I need one more kid right there in the back. Can't even see who you are, but come on up. Let's give these guys a hand as they come down. And as you give them a hand, I need a couple of adults. Go ahead and come up, a couple of adults. Don't be scared. Come on. Two adults. I'll call on you. David, there we go. I mean, David's dad. Uh, It's a family affair today. One more adult. Graham, go ahead. Your wife just volunteered you. Good job, Savannah. All right, here's what we're going to do is these guys come up. I want to I wanna show you guys, I want you to get a visual of all the different ways, you can line up over here on, on my right, of what it looks like to wait on God. Now, I missed theater class in high school, but I'm going to try to help you guys out with some examples. So one by one, Ashwin, you guys are going to show me what it looks like to wait on God just one at a time, but you're going to freeze that pose. This makes sense. Okay, so here's some examples of what this could look like to wait on God. You could do like this, looking, waiting on God, right? You got that? You could do like this, you're really excited to wait on God. You could do like this, you're kind of frustrated, waiting on God, fold your arms. You could do like this, you're kind of bored, looking at your watch, waiting on God, right? Just let the spirit lead. I don't want to tell you, <laughs> I don't want to tell you how to do this, but those are just some examples from a non-theater guy, Okay. You guys go. So, David, why don't you start us? Come out in front where everybody can see you. Ashwin, you'll go next. So, David, you show us your rendition of waiting on God. Okay. <laughs> Sleeping, see? Let the spirit lead. Don't limit the spirit. Ashwin, what does it look like to wait on God? Keep that pose. Keep that pose, David. Go back to sleep. Keep it, keep it going. Ashwin, what does it look like to wait on God? Sleeping while sucking on a lollipop. <laughs> Hold that pose, Ashwin. Skylar, you're next. <laughs> ah, oh, you just love Skylar. <laughs> so happy. Grim? Mm. When's he gonna come? Guyan? Contemplating, that's good. Dave? okay nice nice all right you guys hold that you guys got that that visual there's tons of ways to wait on God hey can we thank these volunteers real quick all right thank you guys so much you can have a seat there's lots of ways to wait on God isn't there we just saw we're going to see some of that in Luke 1 and that was just a fun way for us to catch a visual of this anticipation of this Advent season and that's what we're going to get into as we look at our text today Luke 1 Verse 5 is where we start, and here's the big idea. If you take notes, here's where we're going. We're going to walk through this statement over the course of our time. We're going to see that God fulfills his promises through prayer according to plan. God fulfills his promises, he does it through prayer, and he does it according to plan. To plan, So the first point we're going to look at is God fulfills his promises. What promise are we talking about? Well, in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, 400 years before these events occur in the New Testament, we see a promise. We see it in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. We're promised a messenger who will prepare the way of Jesus. And we start to see this begin to take shape in Luke chapter 1 verse 5. We'll flesh out more of the promise as we go, but we're just going to look at the verse words, in the days of Herod. It starts off, in the days of Herod, verse 5, and the reason it starts off that way is because we were in the days of Herod, right? Genius. And we see this as Herod the Great, a Jewish ruler for Rome who was commissioned by Mark Antony, by the Senate at the time, to rule in Rome. It was around 40 B.C., And Herod the Great, this was his period. These were the days where he was ruling. So this is a definite time, and it also involves specific people. It says Zechariah of the division of Abijah. Now, I know all of you know what that means, but we're just going to go through the exercise just for fun, right? Zechariah of the division of Abijah, what does that mean? Well, there were uh, divisions or groups of priests. There were 24 of them, we think, and, and they would come in the temple on a rotation to serve in the temple. And so Zechariah's division was called Abijah, and it's on his time to serve in the temple. So that's where we show up on the scene. Zechariah's a priest. If you're not familiar with that language, like a pastor in that day, and he comes to serve at the temple. He's from this division of Abijah of priests. Then we get Elizabeth. Elizabeth was Zechariah's wife. She was a descendant of Aaron. That's her background. Her lineage, it says a daughter of Aaron. That's not literally her. Aaron wasn't her father. Aaron was the first priest. He established a priesthood in the Old Testament. He was Moses' brother uh, in the Old Testament. And Aaron is that guy. Elizabeth comes from his lineage. So we get some of uh, Elizabeth's background. She's married to a guy named Zechariah. We get some of his background. This is definite time with specific people. You got that? Okay, so if we did a quiz later, you would get these answers right, okay? Now, is that the point? Is that the point of going through those facts and details and seeing the context so we can get some answers right on a quiz? So at your next Christmas party, you can impress your friends because this would come up, right? The Christmas parties you go to. Right, that's not the point, right? I want you to know that information, but, but that's not the point. The point is this really happened. The reason it says in the days of Herod, because it was in the days of Herod. The reason it says Zechariah of the division of Abijah, because he was of this division, a priest of Abijah. The reason it says Elizabeth was from this lineage all the way back to Aaron, the first priest, because she really was. Notice, kids, you've read stories. Your parents read you stories. Nowhere in here does it say once upon a time. This is a real time with real people and and what I love about this specific account of this real time and real people is Luke the author if you know much about Luke Luke was a doctor he was a brilliant man respected in his community he does his research in Luke 1 chapter 4 or verse 4 rather right before this his stated purpose of this whole account is to give certainty to the life death and resurrection of Jesus And so as we wait on Christmas, as Christmas is coming, as we wait on the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ, we can have confidence, hope amidst uncertainty. Uh, Because a lot of you, you're waiting on God in different ways. A lot of these guys are going to be waiting on God in different ways, but there can be an anticipation, a joy, and strength amidst that waiting, even amidst uncertainty, because we have the Bible. We have this account of Jesus coming in real time, with real people, with verifiable history. Right? And so as we saw all these examples of waiting, right, that we can actually have a joy in waiting, an anticipation in waiting, a confidence amidst waiting as Christians. And so this Christmas season, if you're waiting... In whatever situation that is, if you are new in your faith and you're waiting on understanding, you're thinking, when am I going to figure all this out? This is all new to me. God is going to provide clarity, confidence amidst that waiting. If you're more seasoned in your faith, and we, we look at the, the Christmas decorations, and we go through Luke 1 and Luke chapter 2 on Christmas Eve, and you think, ah, I've done this before. It doesn't really stir up anything in me. If you're waiting on God's renewal in your heart, You can have a confidence, a clarity, that God is going to bring that about as you wait. And so whatever you're doubting, however you're doubting, maybe we just went through Thanksgiving, you're thinking, Tim, I don't have much to be thankful for. Things aren't going well for me. And you're waiting for things to turn a corner. Even you can have confidence and clarity amidst the waiting. Because of God's grace and what he provides us in his Word. As we show up to this this scene, Luke is writing to all of us to give us confidence and hope, even as we wait on God. Now, look back at verse 6 with me as we continue. What do we know about Zechariah and Elizabeth as people? We see that they're righteous, blameless. They followed God. They followed all of his statutes. They're walking with God. But, that's a key but, in verse 7, it says, but they had no child. Elizabeth was barren. Now, that transition may not stick out to you, but it would have in this original context, that in this original context, that having kids was equal to being righteous, that having kids was equal to being blessed, and that not having kids, well, you must have done something to disobey God. You must lack faith. And in this context, they would have known that. We may see that a little bit, but not near as much as they would have. And so as we see this transition, they were righteous and blameless. They followed God, but they had no child. Elizabeth was barren. This would have confused everyone. And it says Zechariah and Elizabeth felt reproach in verse 25 at the end of this passage. They felt reproach. What does reproach mean? They felt disapproved of. They felt shame. That even though they followed God, they obeyed God, they were righteous and blameless people, they had no kids, and therefore the people around them caused them to feel shame, to feel disapproved of. Can't you just imagine that? Like The word around the community, when they thought about Zechariah and Elizabeth, like, what must Elizabeth have done? She must have done something. I mean, I know she's supposed to be righteous and blameless on the outside, but but privately, she did something. In her past, she did something. Otherwise, she would have kids by now. Isn't she the pastor's wife? That's not a good look. No kids and the pastor's wife? What's what's wrong with her? Around Elizabeth, maybe at the well, that, that other people would have come along and said, you know, Joanne, she's having her third child. I mean, she just really loves Jesus. Elizabeth. Can you just imagine the talk around town? That she felt reproach. She felt shame. She felt disapproval. And we're going to find out later, Elizabeth is is up there in years without kids. She felt this way for the majority of her life. And so, listen, if you, if you believe that you follow God, everything goes well for you. You follow God, you are always and forever blessed with no trials. You haven't read the Bible. Right? This is Zechariah and Elizabeth, a priest and his wife. They followed God. Not just they followed God. They were righteous and blameless before God. And they felt shame and they felt disapproved of. But God had a a plan. You see, God doesn't give us a life void of shame or void of disapproval or void of even pain. No, what does God do? He redeems that pain, he repurposes that pain, and he uses it for his glory and our joy. That's the God of the Bible. That's the God that we serve. And that's the God that we see show up In this pain and shame. Don't you think it's interesting the people God uses to fulfill His promises? As we look at Luke chapter one, He could have used a big family that was clearly blessed by God, that everybody would have looked to, but He doesn't. He uses this family that's barren for years and years and years, this family who's experiencing shame. Don't you just love the people God chooses to use? We're gonna look at Mary next week, a virgin a teenager from a small town, and and what does God do? He says, we're going to provide the Son of God through you. Don't you just love who God uses? God not only uses real people in real time, but he uses real pain because God is a redeemer. He repurposes things. This is what he does in your life. right? So some of you are waiting on God, and some of you are feeling shame in the midst of that, like, God, why haven't you provided this financial support? Why haven't we turned the corner as a family financially? I mean, everybody else is, and people are looking at me like, why haven't you? Why haven't you had kids yet? Why aren't you married yet? I mean, what? Something must be a little off, right? And you're feeling shame and pain in the midst of that. Why, why is your kid still sick? Why are you still sick? You don't have enough faith. You must not be following God. There must be something we, we don't know about and you feel, you feel shame. Listen, you need to know that God wants to repurpose that in your life just like he did in Zechariah and Elizabeth's life. That's the kind of God we serve, and that's the scene where God fulfills his promises. Let's look at how he does this. Look at verse 11 with me. God fulfills his promises Through prayer, we have Zechariah's group or division of priests. They show up at the temple. That's where we find him as we start verse 11, and an angel shows up. And we see Zechariah's response. He's troubled, and fear falls upon him. Why does that happen? Listen, because it's an angel. A lot of us have watched too much TV in the 90s, too much touched by an angel. Some of you guys have no idea. Go Netflix it, maybe. And we think of an angel as a sweet, soft, British woman coming to us with a soothing voice. Just heads up, that's not in the Bible. That angels were powerful messengers of God who showed up. And every time, typically when that happened in Scripture, the angel has to say what? Don't be afraid. It's the most repeated command in the Bible. Don't be afraid. It's always usually around God showing up or angels showing up. Why? Because they were afraid, right? Because it was a scary moment for Zechariah to be in the temple doing his service that he does once or twice a year, and an angel shows up right next to him, and so he's afraid. He's troubled. And Zechariah says, don't be afraid. Why? Because the angel has amazing news. The angel's a powerful messenger, but... But he has amazing news. It's jam-packed news like, kids, when you open your good Christmas gifts, not the lame ones, the good ones that you actually want and that you've been asking for. It's like when you open those Christmas gifts and you try to fit a 1,000 descriptions into one. And you're like, well, it's a game, but it's also a toy. But it flies, and it also goes in water, and it's amazing. You should see it. My friends have it. And there's all going to be all these things, and there's a show coming out based on the game and the toy. Mom, we got to get that that this news is like that, right? If you just look at it, you see that. The angel says, you're going to have a son, Zechariah. You will have joy. In fact, many will rejoice at your son. His name will be John. He goes on to be John the Baptist, paving the way for Jesus, what we'll see later in the series. His name will be John. He'll be filled with a spirit, get this, in his mother's womb. And we could talk about a lot of things and go on tangents on that, but just so you know, life starts in, in the womb. The best example we see that in Luke 1, twice. A little bit later, we see uh, Elizabeth say the baby leaped in her womb. Because it's a baby, it's a child. A lot of times the same word is used, whether it's an older kid or a child in the womb in Scripture. Right, Tangent over, back to this. So God names this boy. God knows this boy in his mother's womb, and the angel tells this to Zechariah. It says, your son will be great before the Lord. Not just any greatness. They called Herod the Great. But your son is going to be great before the Lord. That's true greatness. It says, he won't take any drink. He'll be specially consecrated to God. He'll give up that freedom. He will go before the Lord. He will do so in the spirit and power of Elijah. That's quoting the end of Malachi, the end of the Old Testament, where we see this promise begin to be fulfilled of John the Baptist coming. John the Baptist would call people to radical repentance. Elijah did the same thing, and so the angel is letting them know a little bit about what your son's gonna be called to, remember, while still in the womb. So you're gonna have a son. All these things are gonna happen. Here's what's gonna do for you and the people around you. And Zechariah gets that message. Now, if you think that's a lot for Zechariah, if you think that's a lot for us, imagine what would have been like for Zechariah Older in age, didn't think he was going to have kids. Now he's having a kid. He sees this angel, a powerful messenger of God, and it comes with all of these promises, these incredible promises that are going to be fulfilled. And notice, how does it all happen? What's the vehicle God uses to fulfill his promises? It's prayer. All right, verse 13, look at that verse with me. It says, your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard and it's interesting we don't know much about the prayer. Was it recent? Was it persistent? Was it in the temple? Most scholars think it wasn't because that's not really what Zechariah would have went to do. He wasn't there to pray for himself personally. He was there to offer incense, worship to God on behalf of the people. It seems like it would have said it if he'd prayed right then. The angel says, "Your prayer has been answered." It doesn't. We don't know if he'd been praying or if he'd stopped praying. Remember they're older. Maybe they weren't expecting a kid to come. Maybe they had given up on that prayer. Maybe they prayed in their 30s and 40s. But after a while, they said, hey, let's move on to pray for something else. So we don't know how he prayed, but we do know God heard the prayer. you got to think how many times, though, they wondered, right? Like in Elizabeth's 30s. When all her other friends were having kids and, and knitting blankets for the nursery, and she wondered, like, God, do you hear my prayer? As they looked around at the hustle and bustle of everybody else's home in the morning with kids running around, and, and yet every morning they wake up, and it's silent, eerily so, quiet. There's no kids running around in their house. For years and years, as they started to plan their future and think, well, who's gonna take care of us when we're old when we get sick? Who are we gonna pass our legacy on? We've been following God, all his statutes, holy and blameless. Is that gonna matter after we leave? Is anybody gonna carry that torch? You gotta to imagine at some points in their life, they wondered, God, do you hear my prayer? Maybe there's some points in your life where you wonder, God, do you do you hear my prayer? I mean, I've been praying for, provision for a long time, for healing for a long time, for a child, for a spouse, for a long time. God, God, do you hear my prayer? I'm looking around. Some other people seem like they have some prayers answered. They have a child, beautiful family. Where's mine? They have provision. They don't even follow God, and they have things. Why don't I have things? God, do you hear my prayer? You see, sometimes I think we get caught in this trap. We assume that God only hears our prayers If he answers them immediately. Do you do that? We assume, God, you only hear my prayer if we get a response immediately. Why? Well, because we look around and it seems like on the surface, that's the way it works. We look in the Bible, a guy like Elijah, who was just mentioned. Elijah, Old Testament, he prays for rain. And God delivers. He pours down rain from the sky. And we look at that example and think, man, pray like Elijah. God answers his prayer. He brought rain down from the sky. Now, we don't realize that we just flipped a couple pages in our Bible, but Elijah prayed for three and a half years of drought. We just flipped over a page. And we think, well, God, come on. You did it for Elijah. And God's saying, read some context study your Bible and realize there were three and a half years of, of drought. I have a pastor friend who, um, has an established church. They're 40 years into this thing. If you don't know, we're three years into this thing. They have an amazing building. They have a little water display that comes down that I always give them a hard time about. Like, you know how much that water display costs? Probably part of our month's rent, but, um, moving on. Grateful Thanksgiving, right? Uh, But I'll talk to my pastor friend, and I'll just be like, he'll talk about his church, and everything just seems so steady and stable, and his kids are doing well, and they've lived in Phoenix for a long time, and I'll just think, man, that must be nice. (laughs) Right? I mean, we're building a church, and everything's still coming. We still have to set up this thing. We don't have our own church home yet, and I think that must be nice, and we'll talk more, and he'll let me know some hardships. One, just with the building and facilities, but also with life and his kids and his church. Over the years, that's built up that he'll talk about in the early days of their church. They had 40 to 80 people on a Sunday for eight years, and they met in a school just like us. And people prayed. They prayed for a place. They prayed for a church home. They prayed for God to move and build his church and grow his church. But it didn't happen like this. It happened over eight years, over 40 years. You see, many of us, we get caught in this trap where we think, God, you only hear my prayer if I see a response now. And God's saying, no, 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 I want you to wait. I hear your prayer, but I want you to wait because in the waiting, God is preparing. He's preparing you for something profound. That's what he does for Zechariah and Elizabeth. He hears their prayer. It doesn't matter that they're older. He heard their prayer. We don't know if it was the prayer of a 35-year-old woman for a child or it was a prayer just the other day. We don't know that, but we know God answers and hears their prayer. God hears your prayer. Even if you stop praying it, even if you've given up on God, he still hears your prayer. And he will answer it at some point. And he wants you to wait and look to him. Then our last point as we complete this statement. God fulfills his promises through prayer according to plan. That's our last point. We see that in verses 18 through 25. Verse 18, Zechariah is confused, quite frankly, because he's old. Right? Or as he says about his wife, she's advanced in years. Zechariah didn't get everything right, but he got that one right. Amen, husbands? I'm going to steal that one, advanced in years. I like that. Zechariah got that right, but he didn't get the next thing right. He didn't know how to take God at his word. He doubts. This seems impossible. We prayed for this a long time ago. Not sure this is even really possible. Should an angel be even here right now? Is this really from God? All the things he must have been thinking, and he doubts. And so the angel and the presence and authority of God makes him mute. He can't speak. He comes out of the temple that way. He's been in there for a long time. Everybody around the temple would have been wondering, when's this old guy going to come out? He comes out, he's speaking in signs because he he can't speak with his mouth. That the reality is, in this moment and our days today, that sometimes God has to shut our mouth to open our ears. That's what he does for Zechariah. Even Elizabeth, you look at verses 24 and 25, she keeps herself hidden after she conceives. So Elizabeth keeps herself hidden for nine months. Zechariah can't speak for nine months. They were reflecting. God put them in a place where they were maybe doubting, not sure, and God says, hey, you just camp out right here, and I'm going to show you. I'm going to mold you through this process. I'm going to develop you. Now, this is not the way I would have done it, right? But I didn't write the Bible, and I'm not God. I would not have done it this way. I would have had them share this amazing news that Zechariah got in the temple at once. I mean, you had a multitude we see around the temple. Perfect time. It's set up great for Zechariah to run out of the temple and proclaim it with all he has and say, guys, look at me. I'm advanced in years. My wife is advanced in years. Don't tell her I said that. But we have a, we're, we have a baby coming, and it's going to be John the Baptist. It's going to be giving joy to all the people. He's going to pave the way for the Son of God. He's filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. Can you believe it? I would have had Zechariah use this moment to declare. But God doesn't do that. He wants Zechariah to spend some time reflecting. He wants Elizabeth to spend some time reflecting as they wait. You see, God has a purpose as you wait. God's trying to develop something, prepare you for something profound. That's what he was trying to do for them. This wouldn't have been my plan. I, not just that. I, the whole thing, the 400-year gap between the promise of Malachi and fulfillment in Luke, a couple late in life experiencing shame over and over, prayers hitting the ceiling, I would have done it all right now, all at once. Why? Because I don't like to wait. Do you? I don't like to wait. So why does God introduce the coming of Jesus this way? Why does Luke start out this way? Why don't we just see Luke 2 and the birth of Jesus Christ and the celebration? Why don't we just see later in Luke 1 where Zechariah can speak and he breaks out in song? That's a way better story. Why is the story this way? It's because God works in the waiting. It's because all this reflection leads to celebration. It's because Elizabeth, who experienced shame after shame, would go on to give birth, not just to any child, but to give birth to John the Baptist, who would pave the way for Jesus Christ, who would die for sin and shame, including Elizabeth's. That God works in the waiting. God works in the advent, the coming, the anticipation. And God works in your life in the waiting. That if it all just happened right now, that spouse, if he just walked in, ladies, right now looking all fine in his tucked in shirt, ready to go following Jesus. If he just did that right now, there would be no, no waiting, no reflection, no anticipation to see, God, God, what do you want to teach me? How are you trying to shape me and prepare me for that moment? Because I'm not ready yet. If God just healed your kid now, there would be no desperation, leaning on God. You wouldn't need God. You you got everything you need right here. And so God works in the waiting, in Luke 1 to Luke 2, in your life to whatever's coming for you. God prepares you as you wait. So what is God preparing you for? What is God protecting you from? You see, some of you are praying for things. You're waiting on things that you don't need. You think you need them? Our culture tells you you need them. The nice house, the 401K, good things. But do you you need them? That relationship, that provision, maybe God's protecting you. Maybe he's preparing you for it. I, I don't know what it is, but maybe he's protecting you from it. As you wait, you ever had that experience where you were longing, anticipating something to come? You were frustrated it didn't come? And then you realize a year later, two years later, five years later, man, I'm glad that didn't happen. Man, that would have really gone terrible. And that school I really wanted to get into, I'm so glad I didn't get into that school because I went to this school and I met my wife there. And if I didn't transfer, true story, my life, it never would have happened, right? I'm so glad I didn't get into that school. I'm so glad God didn't take that way immediately because I've learned so much. I've had to depend on God. I'm so much stronger now for the next season of my life. I can help others. You know what? My friend just had a miscarriage. I had that miscarriage. I was really frustrated and in tears by that miscarriage, really sad about that miscarriage. But, but man, I, I didn't realize God was preparing me for to, to minister to this friend who's had a few of those who doesn't have kids yet. I'm thankful that God has me waiting so he can use me. Here's what I love about the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and how God works is God doesn't just bring healing to Zechariah and Elizabeth. He brings healing through them. And it works together. God brings healing through them as he brings healing to them. And some of you this morning are going to think, well, because of my shame and pain and I'm waiting and I'm not in a good place right now, and Tim, I know I should serve or step out in faith for what God wants me to do, but, but I, I have these things I'm waiting on. It's not a good time yet. There's some pain. There's some things that aren't right in my life. And, and listen, God is trying to show you through the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth that you're exactly the person he wants to use, that he's going to bring, bring healing to you as he does it through you. That's his method. So don't miss out on the healing, the promises of God in you as he do, does it through you. I think of Psalm 33. It says, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. This is present tense, that while you wait, God is your help. God is your shield. What a better place to be than waiting. Amen? While you're waiting, God is your help. And God is your shield. Not when the things happen. Not when that prayer finally gets answered. It's while you wait, you can wait with joy, hope, and strength, even amidst uncertainty. We need to pray. Just like Zechariah and Elizabeth did, we need to pray. We don't need to stop praying. We need to be confident God hears our prayers. He wants to move in and through them. To bring about his purpose and his time as a part of his plan. Let's pray together now. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you that you work in the waiting. God, I thank you that you're a God who fulfills promises through prayer according to your plan, not ours. That we have plans, we have steps, but God, you prepare a paths, you prepare the journey, and you're taking us all on that journey, and we get to do that together in the Lord. Gotta thank you for this season where we get to do that, the coming of Jesus, where we get to look forward to your coming, not only at Christmas, but the eventual return of Jesus, that you're coming back. That one day there will be no more waiting, and we will see you face to face. And we'll get to ask, God, why, why didn't this happen? Why didn't that happen? We'll get to look back and see, that's why. You had a better plan. You were repurposing my pain my waiting for your glory and our joy. Help us to believe that, trust that this morning. In Jesus' name.